Well, good morning, everybody. So nice to be uh, be with you here this morning. And it won't be long before you discover I don't have a Yorkshire accent. Um, neither do I have a Surrey accent. I'm from South Africa, um, but I've lived in England for over 23 years, and I'm very happy to be living in England. <clears throat> I'm a retired Baptist pastor, and for 14 years I was the pastor in Upper Hale in, in Farnham at the Bethel Baptist Church. But it's good to be with you here this morning. Your pastor asked if I could speak on Nehemiah chapter 7 this morning. I believe you've been looking at Nehemiah for some time. Now, as you know, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the Persian king, Artaxerxes, about 445 BC. One day, Nehemiah received bad news from his brother, Hanani, that the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down and the gates had been destroyed by fire and the people living there were in despair. And God gave Nehemiah favor in the eyes of the king, and the king sponsored Nehemiah and sent him to organize the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. There was intense opposition from some of the other Gentile leaders in the area, and there was also disunity amongst the people of Jerusalem. And despite this opposition, with God's help and with the efforts of the residents of Jerusalem, Nehemiah managed to organize the rebuilding of the walls. And amazingly, this was accomplished within 52 days. And when their enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were humiliated. They realized that this work had been done with the help of God. And it, had, it was at this time that some of the people were ready to declare that the work was finished. They, they, wanted, to, they wanted to quit. They wanted to stop. The work was done now. And maybe they congratulated themselves for finishing such a difficult and complicated construction project. They thought they could down tools and get back to their normal life. You know, somebody has said, man's work lasts till set of sun, but a woman's work is never done. Now, I don't know about that. But the work was not yet done, and Nehemiah knew it. He knew that the walls were not enough to secure the city of Jerusalem. He knew that the right kind of people needed to be in Jerusalem and over Jerusalem. The rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem still needed to be undertaken. You know, this is how things are in the service of God. We can never down tools and say, our work is finished. There's always something to be done 
for the Lord. There's always some project that needs to be completed and we need to follow through properly on everything that we do for the Lord. Now, after this, Nehemiah chapter 7 comes into play. And that's what we're going to concentrate on today. Lynn, I said we only read the first seven verses. Um, but there's still 73 verses in this whole chapter. So, folk, we're in for a long <laughs> session. But I'm just kidding. Uh, 58 of these verses contain a genealogy of name upon name upon name, but for your personal comfort and well-being, I'm not going to explain every name in the background to every name. But the fact is that Nehemiah's task was not yet complete. If some people thought that the work was finished, they were mistaken. There were still many things that needed to be done and we're going to look at some of those this morning. So let's get into it. And the first thing we see is that, first of all, Nehemiah had the task to safeguard the city. To safeguard the city. And if you have your Bibles, um, let me just read it to you. The first three verses of Nehemiah 7. After the wall had been re rebuilt... And I had set the doors in place. The gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jer Jerusalem my brother, my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. The security of Jerusalem was paramount because their enemies were still at work. And Nehemiah set about safeguarding the city, first of all, by securing the gates. That's the first thing he did, to secure the gates. In ancient China, the people desired security from the barbaric hordes to the north, so they built the Great Wall of China. It was so high that no one could climb over it. It was so wide that it couldn't be broken down. So that they settled back to enjoy their security. But in the first hundred years after the wall was built, the barbaric hordes invaded China three times. They didn't get over the wall. They didn't break the wall down. They bribed the gatekeepers. And they, each time, they marched right on through the gates. So guarding the gates was very important. And Nehemiah made a rule 
that the gods of the gates were to be the residents of Jerusalem. And they were also to guard outside their own houses. He also made sure that there was a time limit for the opening of the gates. They only opened the, the gates late in the morning when the sun was bright and when they could see what was going on. They never opened them during the darkness. So that was the first step, guard the gates. The next step was to appoint singers. Nehemiah actually followed a pattern that was given by David for temple worship. And David took a special interest in organizing singers for the temple worship. And he appointed some key men. And one of them was Asaph. And in Nehemiah 7 verse 44, it tells us that the singers were the descendants of Asaph. So Nehemiah appointed singers. He also safeguarded the city by appointing the Levites. And the Levites mentioned here were set apart for the um, work around the temple um, <clears throat> to help the priests. And um, they were also to help with the worship um, that, that was instituted. Now you may be wondering, what on earth have singers and Levites got to do with safeguarding the city? Well, you know, it's all tied up with the worship of God. Nehemiah realized that not only the physical aspects of the city of Jerusalem needed to be strong, but the spiritual life of the people also needed to be strong. And you know, that's what praise and worship does. It moves us towards God. And the closer we get to God, the, the, the more spiritually strong we become. And today, God's desire for the church is that we be a worshiping people. That, and I hope you folk really enjoy your worship of God. Thank you for your singing. It, it was good this morning, but let's keep that up. We need to develop a strong sense of worship and praise for our Lord God. So, as Christians, we need to be a bit like the gatekeepers, you know? We need to watch. We need to watch ourselves. The devil is always encircling our souls and trying to destroy us. So we must watch. We must also be like the singers. We must worship. And we must also be like the Levites. We must work. I think that's a good thing to take on board. Watch, worship, work. That's what we need to do for the Lord. But then Nehemiah also knew that the safeguarding of the city would need the repopulation of the city. And in verse 4, it says, Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So there were comparatively few people living 
in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah knew that even although the walls had been repaired, um, an empty city is an easy target for the enemy. And Nehemiah wanted Jerusalem to be populated with people of pure Jewish descent. And so Nehemiah's first task after repairing the walls was to safeguard the city. And his next task was to select the leaders. Select the leaders. And we find this in verse 2. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. Nehemiah didn't depend upon his own, skill, his own skills. He didn't use this project to gain fame and fortune for himself. Instead, right from the start, Nehemiah began to turn the process of management over to others. He didn't grab all the leadership for himself. And so he puts his brother, Hanani, um, in charge of Jerusalem together with Hananiah. I imagine he put Hanani there because he knew Hanani. Hanani was from the same home as Nehemiah and was probably a very good man. And then he also put Hananiah in charge. And Hananiah had two outstanding qualities. He was a man of integrity and he feared God more than most do. Now, if you were appointing a leader, what qualities would you look for? Um, very often, leadership qualities are described as intelligence, a forceful personality, diligence, vision, administrative skills, decisiveness, courage, humor, tact, those kind of things, those are all important. It's good for leaders to have those qualities. But to have integrity and to have a fear of God, those are the best qualities. Those need to be there in every leader. Integrity is about doing the right thing even when it's, it's not acknowledged by others, even when it's not convenient. Integrity is a quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. A man went to Kentucky Fried Chicken and bought for himself and his date. The um, attendant at KFC actually made a big mistake and gave him the box that contained the takings for, for half the day. And um, when the man and his date had got to the picnic site, 
they opened their box to enjoy some chicken and they discovered it was full of money, 500 pounds. And uh, they were unusual. They quickly put the money back in the box and they drove back to Kentucky Fried Chicken. And by then the manager was frantic. And they walked in and said, we want you to know that we came here to buy some chicken and somehow we wound up with all this money. Well, the manager was thrilled. And he said, you know, I've got a friend who's a journalist with a, with a local newspaper. I'm going to have your picture taken and put in the newspaper. You're the most honest couple I've ever come across. And the man quickly responded and said, no, 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 please, please, don't, don't do that. And then he whispered, you see, the woman I'm with, she's somebody else's wife. <laughs> Oops, an honest couple, but with no integrity. But a, a leader of God's people needs to have a little more. Not just honesty, not just integrity. He needs to have a fear of God. And it says here that Hananiah feared God more than most men do. You know, we need this today. We need it so much. You remember back in Genesis, God made Joseph a leader of Egypt. But before he became the leader, he was in the house of Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife grabbed him and said, come to bed with me. And he refused. And later on he said, how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He knew it would be wrong. He knew it would be wrong for Potiphar. But above all, it would be wrong for God. And he feared God. And we need people like that today in leadership. People who will fear God, people of integrity. And then, after selecting the leaders, there was a third thing that Nehemiah had to do. And his next task was to substantiate the genealogy. And uh, we're reading verses 5 and 6. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the gene genealogical record of those who had been the first to return. This is what I found written there. These are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar King of Babylon had taken captive. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. And then we have that long list of names that we're not going to read through. But Nehemiah says, 
well, we can't read through it. Nobody would volunteer in any case. Um, but we, but Nehemiah says, so God put it into my heart. God put it into my heart. Nehemiah didn't say, you know, I had this brilliant idea. Nehemiah was a man who acknowledged God's work all along the way. Twice he says, the gracious hand of my God was upon me. And he says over and over again, God helped us. Now this genealogy is also recorded in the book of Ezra, chapter 2. And it's the genealogical record of the Jews in the first return from Persia to Jerusalem under Zerubbabel in 538 BC. The lists aren't exactly the same. There's a couple of discrepancies and a couple of names are spelled differently, but basically it is the same list. And this is the kind of material that a modern writer would put in an addendum at the end of the book, this long list. But this doesn't for one moment mean that these names are not important. Read through your Bible. There are many, many genealogical records. Um, in fact, the first six chapters of First Chronicles are just name after name after name. And we think, ah, oh, these names, they, they don't mean anything. But you know, they're important. They're very important. Why is it? Why does the Bible have so many of these records? You know what I think? I think it's because people matter to God. God doesn't want just nameless people. God doesn't want to just say, oh, well, there, there were a crowd of people. He knows his people. He knows them by name. And he keeps a record of their name. And Nehemiah wanted to make sure, he wanted to check this record because he only wanted authentic Jews to be in Jerusalem to safeguard the city. Why? Because imposters could have come in. And only those who, who were genuinely Jews would put all their effort into protecting the city and helping the city. And you know, Nehemiah did find a problem. Um, in verses 61 to 65, he discovered that there were people there whose names were not on the list. And um, they, they had to bring this matter before God. They had to use the, the Urim and the Thummim to find out what God's will was in this matter because some names were not on the list. And it was important for those Jews in Jerusalem to be on that list. If they weren't on, the, on that list, they really weren't part of the Jewish community in Jerusalem. Folk, God's got another list. Did you know that? He's got a list of those who genuinely belong to him. 
And Jesus spoke about this to his disciples. He says in Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22 and 23, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. And Revelation 21 and verse 27, speaking of the new Jerusalem, which is basically heaven, it says, nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So God's got another list. And the important question of, the most important question of all is, are you on that list? Are you on God's list? It's important that your name be on that list, otherwise you're not part of God's community. You're not part of God's family. How do you get on that list? Well, it's not simply by living a good life. It's not by being a good citizen. It's not even by attending church or even being a member of the church. It's not by being baptized or taking communion. It's by being born again. That's how you get on God's list, by becoming a new creation in Jesus Christ. And this happens when you realize that you're a sinner and you realize that you deserve God's punishment, but then you also realize that being a sinner, you need a savior. And you realize that Jesus is the only savior who can save you from your sins. That when he died on the cross, He opened the way so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could come into God's family. And when you genuinely believe that, and when you genuinely confess your sins and repent of your sins and trust Jesus to be your Savior and Lord and invite Him to come into your life and take control of your life, that's when your name gets written on God's list. And that's the most important list in the world to have your name on. Nehemiah was a great man, a remarkable leader. He was diligent for the Lord his God. He followed through until every task was finished. He knew that just because the broken down walls of Jerusalem had been rebuilt and repaired, that the task was not complete. The city had to be secured, not only with walls, but with strong people as well, with people who genuinely 
belong to God. I wonder what Nehemiah's motivation was. What was it that kept him going and going and going? Well, you know, right at the beginning of Nehemiah, uh, in the very first chapter, when he heard that the walls of the city had been broken down and the gates had been destroyed by fire, he sat down and he wept. Why? Because Jerusalem was the city of God. It had God's name. It was God's city. God dwelt in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah was devastated that the glory of God had been broken down. That his name had been dishonored. And Nehemiah was zealous for the glory of God. For the honor of God's name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. And um, Brian has chosen the next song we're going to sing to to sort of complement his sermon. So it's Restore, O Lord, the honour of thy name. Let's stand and sing, please. Who's that? 
Please sit down. John and Veronica would like to join me.